my preference in work was not toward optimizing machinery, but helping other people to optimize their work processes. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, Ben Eubanks here. Welcome to the show today. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited for you to be able to sit and listen back in the wings and, and see what's happening here. So just, I am so excited. We're going to talk about a couple of things in this conversation. I'm talking to a longtime friend, companion, HR, fellow HR nerd, Tim Gardner, who as we'll probably get to in the conversation, is now retired, but spent a long time working in HR, uh, organizational development, has some really great insights into the space and is someone that I, I respect. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of different things. We're going to talk about introversion in HR, and you'll find out where that comes in in just a minute. But we're also going to take a little bit of time to talk about legacy as well, looking at how to make an impact on others, how to how to connect with people and what what matters looking back over your career because for for those of us that are that still have some time to go maybe it's it's worth beginning with the end in mind as a wise person once said so tim welcome to the conversation sir hey thanks man it's really good to talk to you again absolutely it's been it has been quite a while since we've had a conversation why don't you bring me and everyone else up to speed by just telling us a little about yourself and what you're doing these days Sure. As Ben mentioned, I'm retired, which which can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. But most most formally, what it means is I no longer am counting on an employer for my day to day living or work direction. So I, I pretty much have that freedom at this point in my life. I worked for Kimberly Clark Corporate, which most people know as a consumer products goods a maker of Cottonelle, Huggies, several convenience brands, if you will, and had begun my career with Scott Paper Company, which was acquired by Kimberly Clark along the way. So 39 years total between those two companies, working across a pretty broad spectrum of jobs. I, I frequently say I had three or four careers uh, over the course of one, em, one employment agreement all, all that time. Uh, I started my career in engineering and maintenance and worked in, in that field for about four or five years, moved eventually into an operations leadership role in manufacturing, spent the really the first 25 years of my career in manufacturing plants. And then in the last 15 years or so, I worked at a corporate office in, in Roswell, Georgia, primarily in the HR area, primarily working on organization design uh, and change management activities in, in the part of uh, organization design, helping people get to the new way of doing things, if you will. So across across those years, lots of different activities, lots of different types of of jobs, but but clearly the one that I enjoyed the most was my time in HR and working in in the organization design and growth areas. I, I didn't twist your arm to say that you have a lot of things to pick from. 
can you elaborate <laughs> on why if that's i'm not going to accuse you of saying that's you know saying by saying it's false but why did you enjoy that the most i'm curious about that because i haven't had that exposure in terms of doing some of those other things and i'm curious why that was the most impactful for you i think it goes back to actually the first engineering jobs i had it is a graduate mechanical engineering going into a manufacturing plant and this is you're talking 1978 uh or so uh the first plant i worked in made wax paper and wax paper lunch bags which of course have long since been replaced for the most part by things like a ziploc and and those kind of bags and working in those facilities what i would see is there were lots of people who were as smart as i was they just didn't go to school they went right to work right after high school in many cases and their jobs were terrible in sense and at least in my mind they were terrible in that they would be sitting there watching product go by and their whole some people their whole job was to pull out the ones that weren't packaged right or were defective or whatever and my job was to start improving processes so that number one they would be reliably producing product and not defect which would of course sometimes mean people who were in those kind of jobs would not have that job anymore so it was this weird thing of how do you look at what work is about, not just how do machines work. Because I really got to thinking more and more about that, which gave me the opportunity to work in new manufacturing plants. So on two different occasions where Scott was building new facilities, they asked me to come and work with them on that because in my early engineering days, it was clear that I worked with the people on the line to solve their problems. I didn't come in with the solutions for them. I worked very closely with them, especially the mechanics. There's only so many times you wanna get called in at two in the morning for a broken machine before (laughs) you finally say, hey, let me train this mechanic to think about the problem that he's faced with so that he can solve it himself because there were were shift mechanics that should have been able to do uh, what I would come in at two in the morning and, and basically instruct them to do. So I got a reputation for being a good technology explainer, if you will. So I got pulled into new facilities that were designed where people weren't doing as much inspecting kind of jobs as they were process managing. So someone didn't just operate a machine, they ran the process of the whole machine. And I developed a lot of training, a lot of work structures around that as an engineer, which of course put me in close contact with a lot of HR people. And it kind of came clear to me that my preference in work was not toward optimizing machinery, but helping other people to optimize their work processes. So how can you put in place things for the people so that they can do a better job of managing the process? And that's much more, you know, it's a combination operations leadership and HR leadership. And so in the you know, last half of my career, that's, I spent more time as an operations leader and then ultimately in HR as a kind of a subject matter expert in organization design and process design, work process design, if you will. So that just became a much more natural thing for me. Solving equipment problems is easy. Solving people problems is not. And it requires a whole different kind of thinking, participation, and just an overall sense of a greater, what are you trying to accomplish here kind of way of thinking. 
that comments on solving machine problems is easy, solving people problems is hard. I've recently had an interview with a gentleman who moved over to HR from accounting. And he said something very similar. He said, it's easy to reconcile numbers. It's not as easy to reconcile people. And I'm seeing some similarities there in that connection. So one of the, one of the things that I, the primary reason I reached out to you is I've written a little bit lately and it's been received some interesting response. People have been very interested in it around kind of introversion in HR. And when I started thinking about the topic, you popped my head because you used to run a blog. Again, later in your career, you'd been working in HR for a while. You decided to start a blog because you were interested in connecting with the community and things. I'll make that assumption there. But you started sharing some of your thoughts and it was called the HR introvert. And I'm curious why you picked that name and what it meant to you. Yeah, first of all, if you if anybody listening goes and looks for the HR introvert right now, you'll find that I a long time ago stopped writing and actually gave up the registration. Someone has picked it up as a oddly enough as a information on how to gamble uh, website. So if you look it up, you won't find my <laughs> writings. You'll just find some interesting things about gambling. So I don't know why that is. Uh, but why I picked that, I, I, I guess I was just exploring the whole social media thing. I had become a pretty avid reader of blogs. I had my daily list of, of blogs that I was going through and included people like you and Lori Rudiman and Trish McFarlane and, and many others. And, and I would go through them every day. And I thought, I have a different perspective about HR work and a different angle about it that I'd like to start helping people see and think about. And I think that the HR introvert name came along simply because I was just trying to think about how so many people told me I was never, I was not the typical HR person. And when I would press them on what that meant, they always think, at least in, in my experience in Scott and Kimberly Clark as the HR person at the time, as being that very outward, hey, how you doing kind of person, everything going okay for you today, a very much kind of an extroverted personality at least the way people think about introvert and extrovert. And, and I'm not that way. It's not that I didn't ask people how they were doing, but it wasn't, it wasn't assumed that I was going to be that person who was, had their energy level up a couple steps ahead of everybody else to try and put forward this great image. And so the HR introvert was a natural way to be thinking about that because that's how I was. And, and even in establishing the blog, I thought, what do I really want from that? Do I I want to get some ideas out there in that same space as many of these other blogs I was reading. But I also wanted to start to establish some sort of connection with some of those folks because it was clear to me that the combination of all these people that I was reading and the kind of somewhat the diversity of that collection was much broader than that of my own peers. So I thought this is a way to say, hey, this is another aspect of HR. This is a, a way that's that I think about work and the way that I think about the HR processes and policies and so on. Uh, and I'd just like to document some of that and share it, be part of that conversation with some of the other people that were out there writing at the time. So that's how it came to be. So would you, I'll give you two options here too, choose your own adventure. Was that perspective, that way of you in the world, that way of interacting with people around you, would you say that was a hindrance or benefits looking back now that you, that was just, we're not going to you know, snap our fingers and change our personality styles. But I'm curious how you saw that being either a kind of a blocker or a benefits in 
how you approached your career and the kind of things you got accomplished? I think it was a benefit. It had some challenge. It has challenges with it as well. So, for example, I was working in uh, a union plant in upstate New York, and we were working on implementation of a particular kind of change in the union rules that would allow a supervisor to cover an overtime with with someone else on that shift who had the requisite knowledge. So he didn't have to fill it with the exact same person from a different shift and call them in for overtime. The supervisor had the flexibility to start reassigning people, if you will, to avoid a cost of overtime and, and so on. And, and so I was leading the implementation of that contract language. That was already agreed to, but it was still open as well. What would it really mean in practice? I had the union officer come to me with a grievance one day, a formal written grievance about a decision a supervisor had made. And I sat there and I listened very carefully to him as he wrote it out. And he says, so this is how, why I see that this is the company made the wrong decision in this case. And this is what they should do about that. And I looked at him and I said, Bob, I, I understand your position. I get it. So thanks for that. Well, he interpreted that to mean that I agreed with his position. And it wasn't intentionally deceitful to say, uh, I understand, but I don't agree. To not say I don't agree. I just, I was saying to him what I thought he needed to hear, that I did understand what his argument was. So when the grievance was denied a few days later, he came into me and says, I thought we were aligned. I said, oh, I don't think we were ever aligned. I just said, I understood what you said. And he accused me of being deceitful and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, it's just, this is who I am. It, if someone's coming to me looking for, to make their point clear, I'll tell them if they made their point clear. I, I won't try and make that my argument back to them and try and win, if you will, that argument right then and there. That's not the way the grievance process works. So to me, in that case, it was a hindrance. The other side of that, is that especially in say let's say large meetings i have a team meeting going on there's 10 or 12 people in this conference room and we're having a discussion about a particular issue that the leader is undecided on is looking for input i in more cases than not just listen through those things try to hear what is what are other people saying about it what are their perspectives i'm I'm just absorb all that as i'm thinking about how do i really feel about that because i don't always come in there with a predetermined this is what we should do so frequently especially for two different team leaders i had they would recognize that's what i was doing and and pull me out at some point and say okay you're not speaking up i need to know what you're thinking and, to, and that, I consider that actually a benefit of the way that I was working and the way that I was thinking about things, because my mind isn't preoccupied with how to defend my position if what I'm doing is trying to understand what are all the positions that are possible here, if, if that makes any sense to you. And to me, that's the same kind of process that, that was at work in, in the conversation I had with the union leader. Trying to get all the inputs, all the facts. I, I'm kind of the same way. I was, I'm on a lot of boards and things like that. And I usually am sitting back and I'm, I'm kind of quiet. I'm trying to absorb everything because I like to think down a little bit before I respond. I don't, I usually don't have an immediate response to something, especially if it's hotly debated. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what my perspective is on this and how I'm going to position it. And sometimes you're like, you're just, you're not saying anything. I'm thinking a lot. I haven't said anything. I'm thinking a lot about what I'm going to say. So I'm with you on that. And I, and that makes a lot of sense because 
and thank goodness you had some leaders that were willing to ask that question because sometimes they just they assume that person has no input or that person's input isn't they're not paying attention or whatever else and they'll move on but for those that do they might get a person that, that really is thinking through this thoughtfully carefully and is going to have something that's not atta- not attached to emotion but attached after weighing all the facts here's what it sounds like is the right decision and um, helps to give them a different perspective than everyone else is bringing so I, I really like that and that approach very intriguing hmm. so looking at the time we've got left I want to shift gears a little bit but this is so before I go on to the next thing I want to say that was interesting that was helpful that was what i hope for on the conversation around introversion because i it is actually my perception that there are a lot of people in hr that are introverted that are like have to put on the face and go out there and be outgoing and all of those fun things even though that's not their natural tendency just because they have to be part of the role and i want to give them some encouragement that you don't have to be always on always talking to people, always bubbly and excited. Some people are, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you you have to be good at this or to have an impact. So speaking of impact, I want to transition a little bit and talk about this legacy component because I think this is something I've started caring more about in the last year. And I've talked to a couple different people, um, some of them that, that, that to get their take on this, to understand what they're thinking about this. And so you've got an incredible career to look back on and a fun twist and turns and all those kind of things. When you think back on that time, what sort of things stand out to you? Is it people in relationships? Is it specific accomplishments? Is it certain impacts that you think you had at certain times? I'm curious what things just stand out when you stop and survey that landscape behind you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually answer that question from two perspectives. So I retired at the end of 2018, two years ago. And then I want to give you a perspective of how do I think about that today. But first, as I walked out the door at the end of December of 2018, turned in my badge and my credit card and my computer and my phone and was no longer an employee, what I thought back on the most was the the startups that I had done. Uh, And particularly the opportunity I had to lead all the things related to people in, the, in our plant in Owensboro, Kentucky, which we dug a hole for in 1992 and is still one of our premier locations. I was there about eight years and that was just one of the most, I'd say, growthful experiences I had because I had to learn a lot of things quickly. And one of, one of which was when I real, this is when I realized I am not a, a full, fully capable HR person in the sense that I don't, I don't want to manage payroll and benefits and many of the things that sometimes HR people <laughs> have accountability for. So how quickly could I hire among the people I was putting together in the team, a really good HR person to lead the, the pure HR part of the mill versus the work processes, people promotion kind of things, and to be part of that process. But when I look at that, that was a great experience. I learned a lot. I was very proud of where we ended up and and again, comparing it to my early days of my career when I saw people whose jobs were sweep the stairwell, inspect the product as it comes off the line. And this was even before things were as automated as they are today, literally handling product and putting it into cases one at a time. Those kind of activities were no longer part of what people were doing. And we could hire people 
who were degreed and tired of their teaching job or their bank teller job, but still like to be engaged in work and find, give them manufacturing work that was mentally engaging as well as to some extent physically engaging. So it was a really great experience overall. And I would say the, my last four or five years, I had the opportunity to work on some significant organization design elements when different parts of our organization were going through huge transformation. Uh, and in particular, working very closely with our IT leadership around, the, around moving that from what was one time a, a fully integrated internal KC organization to much more of of what most large companies do today in terms of outsource for certain things and, and focusing capability on the things that really matter to the organization. And then lastly, the creation of, of a global supply chain team. Our company is divided into several different kinds of sectors, uh, a healthcare sector at the time, a healthcare sector, a personal care sector, what they call a family care sector. And each one of those sectors had their own manufacturing organizations, their own way of doing things. They, they tried to uh, integrate better over the years, but until we created a global supply chain team to really provide guidance on standardization for all things supply chain, we weren't really able to get, get the kind of optimization that, that we knew other companies were getting. So I had a big role in helping make that happen. And as I left, that whole part of the organization was really thriving and really starting to make a difference. So I felt pretty good about that. Now, two years later, one of the perspectives I have is that all of that was great. But what really mattered in 39 years is that I had the chance to do work I enjoyed and make a very good life for my family and myself. And I look at it today, that the big accomplishment. It's being able to leave work that I enjoyed because I don't have to work anymore. Because in part, I did all the right things that they pe people tell you to in terms of saving the max that you can to your 401k and understanding your investment well enough to manage that piece. And, and that's what I look at today and say, that was underrated. No one at work really guided me to do those things. Those were things I read about because I was interested in and made decisions about in terms of, again, 401k and savings and all those kind of things with an end in mind to say, I want to spend more time with my wife. I want for us to spend time with our grandchildren, assuming if I go back 10, 12 years, assuming that we would have some, and we do now. Uh, and, and, I, and I want to be able to not do what my dad did, which was worked every day until he had a stroke at age 72 and was, you know, bedridden from that point until he passed away two years later. I didn't want to relive that. I wanted to be much more active. So my biggest accomplishment was being able to take care of myself and my family such that I can now enjoy what I did accomplish in those 39 years without having the daily a requirement to be there. I really like that perspective. And I'm glad you answered it that way too. Because in my, again, in my head, I'm in the thick of it. And so that first answer you gave about the, the big accomplishments, certain teams you were yeah. on, those, that's what comes to mind. Like, oh, those are the things right now that I think of that I'm proud of that. But long-term, and again, this the whole point of this is to get people thinking long-term. It's, did I do something I enjoyed? 
did I feel like I did work that was worthy? Did I do things that allowed me ultimately, right, to spend time with my family and those kinds of things? That's those things long term when you not to get morbid, but when you look at there's a really interesting book that this hospice nurse put together that looks at the the regrets of those who are in their final days. And none of them say, man, I wish I had just started up one more project or I wish I would have just worked that extra three hours on the weekend. None of the, no one ever says that. They say, I wish I'd lived the life true to myself. I wish I had spent more time with family and the people that I love. And that's the, that's exactly what you're saying here. And you're from your own perspective is what you, what led to that, that satisfaction long-term. Yeah, you know, Barbara and I enabled our three children to go to college. We helped them make it all the way through there. And each one of them got out within, I think, five years. It took them a little bit longer than before that, that some people would say is standard, but they all made it. They're all fully independent now. And, and, and that was part of our goal in, in raising kids. So I think that, again, like the work was nice. And, and I know people think about their legacy, but if, if I walked into that Owensboro Mill today, and I can tell you that. I haven't been there in many years, but I would recognize some of what they're doing, but I would know that they've evolved too. I think that nothing you do from a work standpoint, to me, is the lasting thing in the kind of technological change world that we live in today. It, it's just it's just not realistic to think that, or even to care whether it does last. If if they came in and told me today that they threw out the whole book of things that, that I started with and they've redone it all, I'd say, great, if that's what works for you today. But I know that worked well for us at the time, and I'm glad someone else is now getting the chance to experience that development, that chance to impact their workplace differently at a different time. So I don't think of it work legacy as something that will stand forever. I do think about it in terms, of, I think, as well as the relationships that I made. I recently got a call from someone I used to work with to ask if I'd be interested in coming back as a consultant for a bit for a brief assignment in change management. And frankly, the work really appeals to me. It would be good to get to go and do a little bit of work for a short period of time that doesn't also, because I'm part of this bigger team, mean that I'm going to get, oh, by the way, can you do this? Can you do that? All these extraneous assignments that you get when you work as part of a, a, a larger organization. But what struck me the most about it is in talking with the people since I got that call, I talked with a couple of different people that I might be working with. They don't know me. They only know of me. And they said that they know what they need in this particular project. They've talked to enough people to know I can get that for them and help them get there as fast as they need to. So that meant that's that was my legacy, that people remembered working for me and remembered what I could deliver. But again, to the extent that right now it makes sense because I can't travel, Barbara and I can't go anywhere. Sounds like a short-term assignment. So yeah, I'll do that. I can do that from home. And it's good to have that choice, obviously. But if I didn't ever get that call, that would be okay too. So one last question for you. Someone's listening to this, someone who could be about to start their career. They could be 10 years deep. They could be 20 years deep. It's hard to know. So I don't know if there's one one thing you can share based on what you've talked about already that might be helpful for them. But any advice for someone that wants to get to the end and think, I did a good job. This was worth it. Any Anything you might share that might uh, give someone encouragement there? Yeah. So two things. I think when people think about, I I, I don't really like the word retirement anymore, but when they think about retiring, about being able to say, all right, I don't go to work every day anymore. 
they really need to plan it. It doesn't just happen. Whether you have, whether you say, I think I have some pension or well, social security pays me something. You should know what those things are. You should know what you're doing to assure that you have a day where you can say, I don't have to go to work every day anymore, if that's what you want. I know some people that can't imagine not working, but I could, and I planned it. And probably at at 20 years in, or maybe even 25 years in, I already had a pretty good sense that I wouldn't be much more than 15 more. So I had thought about that from that standpoint. The other thing I would say is, and I just, I finished reading Lori Rudiman's new book, The Betting on You. And she actually provides a great roadmap for really challenging yourself to think about, are you doing something that you want to be doing? And if not, what are you going to do about it? So to me, if you've got to solve that problem, because if you do have the plan that says, okay, financially, if I do this and I do this and I contribute to 401k, but I'm miserable in my job. 15 more years is a long time to be miserable in your job. And I think that's what she confronts very well in her book is to say, so what are you going to do to discover what would be a better solution for you? And and I, I would recommend that. I would recommend that you really get a hold of thinking through the processes that she's identified in her book. Excellent. Wonderful. This, I've enjoyed this. I already expected to, but I've enjoyed this so much more than I thought I would, Tim. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate you joining me for the conversation, sharing your insights, sharing your wealth of knowledge, just your experience. I, I love talking to people who came to HR from somewhere else because they always have fun stories. They always have great and impactful things to share. And your story is no, it's no different. It's, it's one of those that, I've, that I enjoy. And I probably will end up telling a version of this at some point, right? Sharing, sharing your story to other audiences and talking about how we can make impacts on people and how different perspectives bring that. So anyway, I'm uh, gushing a little bit because I'm just, I've, I've taken so many notes. I've got so many things swirling in my head about thinking about my own long-term. What is that going to be? What's it going to mean for me, for my family, for the, the kids? And what, all those fun things are wrapped up together. And this is great. I really appreciate you for joining me. I appreciate your insight. Thank you so much, Tim, for making some time to, to connect with me and the audience. Hey, no problem, Ben. It's good talking to you. And I'd be glad to hook up again anytime if you have other questions or another topic you want to discuss. Awesome. Absolutely. To everybody else, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on We're Only Human. Think about your legacy. Take a minute today, jot some thoughts down, and I will catch you soon on another episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.